I think it's important to acknowledge that that would be the first thing and think, okay, is there a particular group of patients that are a challenging group for you? And it might not be oncology. It could be simple as overwhelmed mum. You know, if you sat in consults and thought, wow, you know, that person is pretty much telling me how it is in my home, you know, and sometimes that can overwhelm and bring things up for you. You know, I know from some of my other colleagues that it might be working with women who've had multiple miscarriages and that might bring up things for them. It might be patients who have elderly parents who they're caring for who are passing away. You know, it doesn't have to be the oncology patients that bring out things in you. I guess it depends on what your triggers are or maybe what your stress has been in in the past. But certainly um, the oncology patients were the ones that, that did it for me. And so acknowledging that and thinking about how I was going to do something, I thought, okay, well, firstly, you know, what kind of things um, or why am I doing this? You know, why do I want to keep working with this group of patients? And really having a clear idea about my why. Welcome to the Metagenics Best Practice Podcast, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, practitioner to practitioner conversations to inspire and mentor you in your own professional journey. Join Angela Carroll as she meets with practitioners from around Australia and New Zealand and hears how they work, live and grow in the natural medicine field. Can our patients negatively affect our emotional and physical health? Burnout in the healthcare industry is a very real consequence of our patient load and the level of care we give. We care for our patients. How about our own self-care? Do you have a framework to ensure that you can be the best you can be for yourself, your patients and your family? When you care for yourself, everything gets easier. Listen in to get a greater understanding and awareness as I speak with Carla Wren, who is an integrative naturopathic practitioner with two decades of clinical experience, the owner of Peninsula Herbal Dispensary in Mornington, Victoria, and the creator of an incredible functional medicine tool for practitioners, Vitae Mosaic. Carla has a focus on complex chronic conditions and integrative oncology and would like to see practitioners build a culture of supporting each other. Make a cup of tea, sit down in a quiet space and take some time out. Welcome everybody to another episode of Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. I'm Angela Carroll and I am interviewing today Carla Wren. Carla is a practitioner in on the Mornington Peninsula and the reason that Carla and I get in together today to share Carla's wonderful knowledge and experience with you is Carla and I were having a conversation at a seminar last year and Carla was talking about how exhausted we can become as practitioners and how we need to focus more on self-care so that we can be better for our patients. So that's going to be our focus area today. Hi Carla. Hi, how are you? I'm great actually, really good. I just finished a webinar so now I'm all primed to do a podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so I wanted to, uh, to ask you, can you explain a little bit about how you came up with this concern you have about practitioners uh, so easily going through burnout, so easily becoming emotionally exhausted and, and probably even, I would say, a bit of uh, post-traumatic stress when you're dealing with some patient populations? 
Yeah, um, for sure. So I guess um, it really came down, down to my personal experience as often these things do. And working um, for as long as I have, you know, you see a whole gamut of patients and some of those patients you have, um, you know, emotional connections with, I guess, that the more time you spend getting to know them, you know, I think we have quite a unique uh, position where we do get to spend time with our patients and they tell us some things that perhaps they haven't told um, anyone else. And I guess along the way in that experience I started to notice that there was a bit of a pattern for myself with the oncology patients in particular that I was attracting um, and I started to feel not so much burnout but a little bit overwhelmed by the emotions of some of the things that were happening particularly in a key group of um, oncology patients and that were the ones that were born in the same year as me or had young children similar age as me and I really felt that I was starting to think about them a lot more than I needed to outside clinic you know I would wait wake thinking about them um I would feel uh, obviously emotional when someone passes away but perhaps a more overly emotional and it was also starting to um affect the extended um practice that I work in um and you know our our girls in the clinic get to know these patients as well and um we were starting to all feel a little bit challenged by um, what was happening for us personally um, as these patients were, were working with the clinic but also passing away. So I thought, you know, I've got to do something about this um, because it wasn't something that I'd ever experienced before in practice. And um, I feel like perhaps as we become more and more involved in these complex and chronic cases and certainly in oncology um, and cancer support that we need to have a good framework of how we're going to um, look after ourselves because I think it's something that we're not discussing as an industry. Mm, I totally agree with you there. Just for context, uh, I know that quite a lot of practitioners say they don't treat cancer, um, which I personally think is a shame uh, because there are so many people that need our care, but I also on the flip side understand why they may not. Um, and so just to put things in perspective, you have a reasonably large oncology load. So you're seeing a lot more uh, cancer patients than a lot of other practitioners would. So any, are you able to sort of mention numbers as far as, you know, what you're seeing at the moment? Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it varies up and down. Um, I would see between 40 and 50 uh, patients a week um, in a variety of settings, whether they be um, new patients or return patients. But of that, I would say between 25 and 50% of them are oncology patients. Um, and I guess that was, you know, really... Um, a, a key thing for me as that started to grow and the numbers started to increase, the probability of seeing, um, you know, challenging situations and it becoming quite emotional, having patients pass away increased. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So it does take a toll on the body. I think I remember, do you remember um, telling me that you were talking to um, um, yes. someone in the medical world so, about yeah. the levels? Yes, yeah, so I went... Um, looking after myself I spoke to um, and this is I guess part of the strategies that I would talk about you know is I thought okay how am I going to uh, look after myself in this situation and uh, I have a local uh, chiropractor who's a good friend of mine we kind of just have a bit of banter around our patients and supporting each other um, and then also I obviously have the girls that I practice with some of them who are very close friends who I've been friends with since I started uh, as a naturopath or studied as a naturopath at 17 and I said to them you know you know 
and what do you think I should do? And I thought, right, I'm going to go and see a psychologist. I've had brilliant mental health all my life, but obviously this is a challenge for me. So I went to see um, a local psychologist that um, I really actually very much enjoyed having a chat with. Uh, her name was Zoe. And Zoe said to me, well, you know, how many patients are you seeing? How many oncology patients are you seeing? And at the time it was around 14 was the kind of average for a week. And she said, well, pretty much that's where your problem is. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, in our um, psychology practice that we're part of, um, we have a rule that we're not allowed to see more than four oncology patients a week or four, um, I guess, uh, pregnancy loss patients or four of any type of group of patients. We really schedule them to make sure that we don't have a burden in one particular area because our practice believes that that increases the likelihood of having a challenge um, with that patient group or being emotionally infected by your patients. And I really, that for me was a massive light bulb moment because I thought, well, I've got two choices. You know, I can either reduce my um, oncology support patient um, numbers, but I love working with them. And I think we have so much to offer them that I'm going to take the other choice, which is actively um, acknowledge that this is a challenge for me and work out some strategies that I can take um, to ensure that this doesn't become an ongoing issue. And um, I only saw Zoe one more time after that um, because that sentence in itself was enough to make me feel like well hey you know this is probably normal um but I'm going to make a conscious choice to handle this better going forward mm, excellent excellent and you mentioned that you had to then set up a, a good framework to keep you keep your head above water essentially that's exactly right. And um, some of this I will be sharing at Congress. So I'll give you um, a bit of a rundown of it. But Ooh. this is my topic um, in my meta talk at Congress. So I won't give you all of the details. I'll leave okay. some of them for the attendees. <laughs> but um, certain, certainly um, I think it's important to acknowledge it. That would be the first thing and think, okay, is there a particular group of patients that are a challenging group for you? And it might not be oncology. It could be simple as overwhelmed mums. You know, mm. I don't know, um, you know, if you sat in consults and thought, wow, you know, that person is pretty much telling me how it is in my home, you know, and sometimes that can overwhelm and bring things up for you. You know, I know from some of my other colleagues that it might be working with women who've had multiple miscarriages and that might bring up things for them. It might be patients who have elderly parents who they're caring for who are passing away. You know, it doesn't have to be the oncology patients that bring out things in you. I guess it depends on what your triggers are or maybe what your stress has been in in the past, but certainly... Um, the oncology patients were the ones that, that did it for me. And so acknowledging that and thinking about how I was going to do something, I thought, okay, well, firstly, you know, what kind of things um, or why am I doing this? You know, why do I want to keep working with this group of patients? And really having a clear idea about my why. Um, and it was my why with oncology patients is because I think we can make such a big difference. And I do feel like our services are very much missing from that integrative oncology care team, um, particularly as we see it in some other countries countries around the world so I wanted to be able to offer that to those patients so I felt like my why was bigger than the issues that I was having when I was working with them mm. um, and understanding what satisfaction I got out of it not just the stress that it might have brought for me so you know instead of thinking about perhaps the fact that I was spending a bit more time on these cases or worrying about these patients also acknowledging the um, huge satisfaction that I was getting out of these cases perhaps in situations like you know where we're trying to work with a patient who's got um, halted treatment 
treatment because of their neutropenia and I'll use a product with them. Um, I'm a big fan of using the the mushrooms with patients with neutropenia mm. where it's appropriate. Um, and, you know, when you get that next blood test back and their neutropenia um, is resolved and they're able to continue on with their treatment, you know, that's really satisfying. So celebrating those wins, the little wins um, and the big wins, just when they feel like they've got hope or they're, you know, they've got the diet nailed or they feel less stressed or all of those things, I, I tend to think and focus on those more um, so that I don't miss them in the overwhelming cases. Mm, okay, that's great. So first of all, identifying why you want to work with those patient groups mm. and what satisfaction you get. And then um, what, what do you do as following on after that? Is there any other self-care? Yeah, so I, yeah, I definitely think about self-care and obviously, um, you know, everyone has different things that they'll mm. do for self-care. And I do think self-care is a bit like that term that gets bandied about a bit, a bit like detox and stress, you know, mm. these words that kind of come through over time. And I think self-care is a bit there at the moment, but I think it's looking at your life um, a little bit reflectively and thinking about, well, what portions of that are you looking after yourself, particularly as a carer? And I think um, of people and maybe your family as well, but, uh, you know, thinking about patients as a context and um, looking at do you need to do some more of those things, whether it just be downtime. And this is something that I've kind of reflected on in 2020. I found that the more um, time I give to myself, the better I am for my patients and the more I get um, a better results uh I guess it goes through a lot of steps, you know, when you, when you, we know when you care for yourself, when you get better sleep, you know, everything mm. becomes a little bit easier. So <laughs> bringing those things in, but also thinking about, um, you know, what other strategies I'm going to use to cope, um, what other um, areas of my life I need to, might need to shrink back, what boundaries I might put up, you know, those kind of questions mm. and reflecting on that. And then also who else do I need to be on my team to support me? Because I think particularly if you're in a solo practice, sometimes it's just you there doing the patients and seeing them all and you don't have that person to talk about it with so one of the biggest things that I've done in the last two years working with this patient group is really set up a good group of practitioners um, around me that I can have these conversations with so that if I do have you know an overwhelming case um, not necessarily for the mentorship as far as what would I do in this case but having someone to ring up and say oh my goodness that was a really bad day and everything that went wrong went wrong and you know this person cried and then I nearly cried and you know I found found it really challenging for this reason and so building that network around myself with a lot of lovely um, practitioners from around Australia has been a really big um, part in how I've gotten through some of those overwhelming cases as well because I think sometimes if we don't have that person to chat to about it we take it home or we don't talk to anyone about it it can become bigger than it needs to. Yeah, I'm so pleased you said that about having a support person, someone you can talk to about it, uh, particularly somebody who understands uh, what it's like as well with what's required in from a practitioner perspective. The, one of the things that I really notice with practitioners is that, is that particularly for the more um, introverted practitioners it can be a little bit more challenging to get out there and meet people and talk to the talk to other practitioners at events but it, it can be the difference between you coping and not coping yeah Oh, 100%. And I think, you know, the group that I'm part of um, is a group of eight practitioners and it just organically developed as we met each other. Um, I knew some of them, but we, we stayed together at a conference um, we attended in, uh, I think it was about 2018. Um, and we just got on really well and we could have a good laugh. And, you know, it really does take a practitioner to have that laugh with, you know, it's when you've had the 
the patient where you've made the gluten-free, dairy-free, um, egg-free diet and suddenly they want to be soy-free, you know, and you've just spent three hours doing some diet plan and now that, you know, and I, I think the average family member um, doesn't have the same understanding of what happens. So it's good to have that support and be able to have the giggles together, the funny yeah. things that happen in clinic, but also have the serious conversations, you know, whether it is that you're asking them a, a question about a blood test, but more, I think the context for, for this group for me is being able to say, I had a shit day mm. and having someone who understands and can just listen and, and um, help the chat through that so you can let it go before you go home or before you go to bed that night yeah um, and I think I think it's one of the, the biggest things that's perhaps missing um for us we don't have that formal setup like other healthcare services might you know if an ambulance officer or a, you know a, a, a GP or someone working in a hospital was to have these kind of challenges and like you mentioned before maybe something does trigger some you know post-traumatic stress um they would have an avenue a formal avenue that they could go down to access some care in this area and we don't really have that you know um mm. and, and i'm not really sure who needs to be responsible for that maybe it's associations you know who knows but i think we can go a little bit of a way of trying to create some connections with other practitioners at, at events like congress or mm. um local um events and and just say you know do you want to have this chat if you need to yeah. and I, I think that um it's just someone you can lean in on um both of you um in those you know uh, not frequent but sometimes big um situations that just leave you a little bit overwhelmed oh absolutely and i, I you know you said that you and your group of eight have been together since 2018 you know i can imagine that that you know over the last two years it's really seen a maturation in the group and imagine that you all can get in and support each other on multiple levels. Yeah, I think even from a business perspective, you know, mm -hmm. people go through challenges. I know one of the practitioners, um, you know, she had some challenges with a patient, um, you know, overstepping uh, the mm -hmm. mark in um, coming into the clinic and being overly aggressive. And, you know, having um, a group of people to talk about, um, you know, just workshop ideas of how we're going to do that. Does this seem like the right way to go about it? Just means that you're not left wondering, um, you know, are you, are you doing the right thing? And I think just that communication means that sometimes you can uh, put it in the right place, let go of it, um, do what you have to do and move on rather than um, get overwhelmed with it, which is certainly what was happening for me with that group of um, patients that, you know, I love to work with young women similar age to me, but obviously, um, you know, when they've got stage four breast cancer as an example and things are going downhill and their children are very young, it can be overwhelming and just mm -hmm. having someone who can listen to that is is super helpful yeah i'm really pleased i actually wasn't wasn't really expecting you to actually go down that side um i wasn't aware about your support group that you had there um but you know I, again so important yeah and i have to say we're not just a support group um we we send a lot of funny gifts back and forth <laughs> to each other and have some pretty funny laughs about the photos that patients show us and uh the poo stories that people tell us so there is a whole other side to it so i think if you're thinking about looking for a practitioner um to do this with or a group of practitioners it doesn't have to be all serious there's a lot of funny stuff that happens um happens on that as well so um yeah i think that kind of um peer support group 
you know, whether it be something formal or something that just evolves with someone or a group of people that you meet in an event is really important and certainly something that I'll be trying to encourage um, in my um, little talk at Congress this year. Excellent, excellent. I'm so pleased to hear that. I'm looking forward to it, Carla. It'll be great. Excellent. Yes, mm. I am too. <laughs> hey, um, I also was uh, intrigued with your comment about reflecting on your life and looking at what you do to look after yourself and then where can you do more of that um of that so rather than looking at the holes you're actually looking at what fills you up already and just making sure that you you're doing more of what is good for you yeah, that's right. I think it's a little bit like a, um, you know, uh, taking stock and thinking about, well, what does my actual week look like? Um, through some of the training that I've done with practitioners, one uh, practitioner from Queensland talked to me about how with her patients, she literally writes out the week and all the hours in the week and gets them to fill in as a bit of a homework when they're doing actual work, when they're doing housework, when they're sleeping and they look at the rest of the time in between that they could be doing, um, you know, kind of self-care stuff. And I guess that little like life assessment showed you that there's actually a fair bit of time, but what are you choosing to do that time? And I think, you know, one of the biggest social media kind of um, like time wasting things, um, you know, is that we do just get stuck doing this scrolling through, you know, mindless stuff. Um, And, you know, perhaps that time could be better served. But if you don't recognize the times there, I think it's easy for everyone to say we're super busy. But um, yeah, thinking about what you can do in those gaps um, by doing a little bit of an assessment of your week and thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, what does make you feel relaxed and how can you bring more of that in? For me, um, my ultimate relaxation comes from holidays Uh, going away Um, and that's nice but it's certainly something that I prioritize um, so that I can do the level of work that I do not just for my patients but also for the um, herbal dispensary that I run with my other practitioners so that there's that even balance and you know I know you love to travel too maybe it's something you do as well but for me and you know that's the big thing and the little things are just making sure I get to bed on time um, not overwhelming myself by committing to too many things Um, you know, doing things that I love, like reading or um, catching up with friends. I love shopping as a relaxing thing. So, you know, Mm. thinking about what it is that actually makes you happy and how you can do more of that to balance out your patient load. Yeah, I do like that, actually. Since I've been coaching practitioners, it's one of those things. It's like where being mindful of where your time is spent and where you can actually fill in and and, and do things that reward you rather than that afterthought was like, oh, I just wasted an hour watching tv and i'll never have that back again yes uh, for sure and i think it's a conscious choice you know of late i'm not doing the tv thing it used to be one of my wind downs i used to stay up super late at night Mm. um, and get lots of work done and that was fantastic but i did think you know maybe this is not the best spend of my time (laughs) took a bit of your you know when you take your own advice and you're like if i go to bed before midnight i do feel much better so you know (laughs) like like i would with my patients i looked at what i call modifiable lifestyle factors which are those Mm -hmm. things like sleep and rest and relaxation and personal development and social or spiritual connection and thought how how can i do more of these and you know, I guess we all sometimes need to take a bit more of our own advice. And I think that does form, um, form part of how we need to make sure we balance out what could be a stressful patient load. Yeah, totally, totally agree with you. I did a podcast in Sydney with, uh, it was a round table, I think it's episode 15 on this one. And uh, I was talking to a couple of practitioners there and we were talking about 
burnout actually and and practitioner self-care there and both of them were saying that they had uh, rituals and being yes. on the ritual list was meditation what about yourself do you have any rituals or a meditation yeah look I yeah, yes, look, I definitely I definitely love a bit of guided meditation. For some reason, I cannot stay awake during it, so I, I do <laughs> listen to it. For me, I think it's really um, being quite organised, getting my day started off well, um, having good breaks. You know, I used to work through my lunch break because there was so much that would happen. Um, and now I just really try and make sure that I go for a little bit of a walk down our beautiful main street that we're on. Um, so, yeah, I do, I do try, I guess, for me going to bed early has been the biggest game-changing kind of ritual that I do it and that's the point where I'll listen to um, I really love insight timer so I'll listen to insight timer um, a couple of great Australian pracs have got um, insight timer recordings so I'll listen to some of them or something else unfortunately I often fall asleep but I feel that's like what I'm meant to do so I'm going with it yeah absolutely well there's still the information is still going into your head and it's still affecting you exactly anyway I love insight timer as well actually I've just been back on that just this week it's there's just so much good stuff in there it's amazing isn't there isn't there sometimes it's hard to choose there's so much good stuff yeah I think these days I've actually chosen uh, practitioners or teachers that I like and then I'll just just go for a binge on them for a while and then I'll find yes. something else yeah exactly good so so um what else are you doing you got meditation anything else um that look, makes I a difference yeah, look, I think um, the the day-to-day -day in the in the way that you let patients in, I think there's a bit of a ritual um, in how I'm practising and how I, um, without sounding too woo-woo, put up that um, bubble around myself yeah. and the energy. You know, I think over a period of time that kind of gets worn away and maybe that's part of that burnout thing. You know, mm. you're just welcoming people into your space time and time again. And I think I've become a little bit conscious, more conscious about how I'm feeling in that um, one patient after the next, after the next situation and ensuring that um, I'm letting go of the uh, energy of that last consultation before I bring the next one in. Um, and as woo-woo as that might sound, I do feel like for me, that means they're not building up. You know, you're not getting to the end or getting to the lunch break or getting to the end of your day and feeling like you've just continuously seen, you know, big long caseloads. There's a bit of a divide, um, and a wrapping up and I'm, you know, we have a process that we follow in our file production and, and, um, you know, script writing for our patients and making sure that I've tied that up at the end of each consultation so that it feels like that's mm. finished and it can't come into the rest of the day with me. So I yeah. guess as an empath, that energy thing is big for me. Um, maybe not for everyone but feeling like that's closed um, works really well for me too yeah we, we were taught that at college you know we were taught that mm. you you know you do you cleanse after one and got ready for the next one uh, and in that podcast I was mentioning to you earlier you know, we were talking yes. about the importance of transitions so I'm really really big on transitions it's okay I've finished this now you know, just clear that and then how do I need to be, who do I need to be to show up and be the best for the next event, the next person, the next whatever it is, so that you're consciously, as you said, you're not dragging it like one big long consultation all the way through the day. It's a series of separate energetic interactions and you, you, you bring what you need to bring to each one and you close off and wrap. 
before you move into the next one. Next one, yes, exactly. And I think it's um, doing that too with with your work at the end of the day and thinking, you know, I only have a short drive home, so it's very easy to from the clinic to home mm. and still be thinking about that um, mm. and making sure that whatever it is that you do on the way home um, does kind of separate that. And perhaps if you're working from home, um, have a bit of a, you know, that ritual of what is the end of the day and, yes. you know, not going back into that. Um, and certainly I... Um, I do think, you know, there's a lot of casework to do sometimes, but I'm trying to allocate time in my day as opposed to after hours to do that. So there is that clear definition about which time belongs to the patients and which time belongs to me for, you know, my um, self-care. I find, uh, speaking for myself but uh, and observing others, you only get to that stage where you need to make those where you decide to make those transitions and you decide to go through with more awareness once you actually realise you've pushed yourself to the limits and you you just, there's got to be a better way. Totally, totally. And I think um, at that point you, you do kind of have to do that self-assessment and think, okay, um, and it doesn't always have to be burnout. I think there's a lot of discussion mm. perhaps about burnout specifically and what we're doing to our adrenals or our HPA axis. But I think it's even before that, it's it's just, yeah. yeah, when you start to think about that patient on a Sunday, when you're with your family or your friends, rather than being conscious of what you're doing at that time and it's creeping in um, and that and then that can be a bit overwhelming. And I do think there's also a bit of an element in, in practice at the moment where people are, um, practitioners are really strong striving to do a lot more than we perhaps used to. You know, we used to just do see our patients, you know, people have got online programs, they're running retreats, um, mm. they're perhaps doing more consults at different hours if they're doing online for interstate or overseas. And I think yes. sometimes that workload, um, although totally admirable and um, I think it's great for our profession and we're extending our reach and all those things, can also mean that your hours of the day start to extend and mm -hmm. um, you start to um, perhaps have, uh, less designated time um, for work and less designated time, sorry, more designated time for work and less time for um, just downtime. And so yeah. we can perhaps be dreaming so big that we can <laughs> almost start to um, give ourselves some own, of our own burnout. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. It's, it's a very fast-paced world and it's, you, sometimes you just want to try and catch up, but... Maybe, maybe, the, maybe you, you get better results if you take the time out. Well, mm. certainly that for the last two years, I'd say would be my experience. And, and also, um, you know, more clearer results, like, you know, trying to mm. achieve um, and setting yourself goals of, well, I would like to achieve this in the next three months um, and make it a bit more simple than trying to achieve all of the things. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be overwhelmed by the, the size of the staircase. Just take one stair at a time. Excellent. That needs to be a, a little post you put up. <laughs> yes, I will uh, work on that one. <laughs> hey, um, so I'm, I'm interested when, I, I, and I apologise if I did not know this, that you did this, but you are a, a IFM practitioner. You did the, did the, are you IFM or you did the AFMCP training? I did AFMCP, not the okay. whole IFM, yeah. Right, okay. So AFMCP, let me explain, is the core groundwork introductory two-day course it was a two-day course in australia anyway um, yeah i did a i did a full five days in atlanta georgia so oh, it might nice. have been a little bit different yeah well, maybe it was maybe it was longer but anyway it's it's the yeah. ground 
groundwork. And then as a consequence, and it's a very impressive course, I must say, it is now available online. Practitioners are interested, AFMCP, through the Institute of Functional Medicine, IFM. Um, but from that, you were ingenious in that you bought that information you learned back and then you've created your own program from that a training program for practitioners to help them to make sense of complicated cases. And the reason I want to bring this up is um, because when you are case taking on complicated cases, it can become incredibly overwhelmed. Where do I, I can't see the forest for the trees. I don't understand the picture so much. Where do I start? Where do I start? But from what I have looked at with your work, you have simplified uh, or you teach a process that simplifies what you're hearing from your patients and effectively puts it together in a very ordered process. Would I be right in saying that is BTA Mosaic? Yes, that's exactly right. And yeah, I did um, AFMCP because I did really feel like I was seeing more and more, this is around 2015, seeing more and more complicated cases. And they were quite overwhelming. You know, I really always want to do the best for my patients. And I, I was starting to feel like um, they were coming with not just the kind of complaints we were taught about in college. You know, they weren't just coming with Hashimoto's. They were coming with um, severe depression, Hashimoto's, um, infertility and type 2 diabetes all in the one consultation mm -hmm. and they probably wanted one pill and they wanted to be fixed in an hour. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking for strategies around how I could work with that patient group. Um, I loved working with them, but I just felt like taking the case itself was overwhelming. And I was also spending a lot of work after hours going over how I was going to help them and trying to build clear strategies and then educate them on those strategies. And so I um, followed a lot of practitioners like Jeffrey Bland and Mark Hyman and Dr. Amy Myers and, um, Dr. Lauren Noel and they all had similar things in common and that, that was that they had been um, or were IFM practitioners. So I took the plunge um, when my kids were old enough. I waited a couple of years and then in, yeah, in 2015 I went over to Atlanta, Georgia and I absolutely love what, loved what I learned. Um, but when I got back I felt that some of the processes didn't really work with how we were practicing in Australia. Um, IFM is not mostly attended by naturopaths uh, in the US. It's more chiropractors and osteopaths paths and um, GPs who are looking to be more integrative that I met at the IFM um, training that I did. And so I was thinking, okay, how can I adapt this with the great skills we have at, with, as naturopaths um, and combine what I've learned so that we could really address the cause. And I do feel like somewhere along the way, um, we've got this idea that heaps of supplements um, and, um, you know, not enough lifestyle education and, and not mm. enough analysis of the case perhaps is the way to go and that we try and deal with these complex cases by really getting a little bit symptomatic rather than really mm -hmm. looking at what systems aren't working. So, yeah, Vita Mosaic is my take on um, utilising functional medicine alongside naturopathic um, nutritional kind of philosophies that we're learning in college to better deal with those really big cases so that we're not overwhelmed, but also so that we don't miss anything. I think mm. we would all agree we would hate to not see the obvious things. And I think using the tools make it much harder to miss things. So yes. when you get to the end of that case and you're kind of doing that close off, like I talked about, we make a care plan and a prescription for the patient so that they're really clear about where they're going as well. Um, mm. That we, We've kind of ended that and then our care is done, our job is done, we shouldn't be stressed about missing things. So that perhaps enables us to be a little bit free of that energy 
yes. like we said with those rituals. Um, but yeah, we, we make sure that we don't miss things and um, we try and make what can be really complicated cases a bit more um, you know, simple by looking at the systems rather than the symptoms and I guess addressing those systems that are of greatest concern um, mm. over the time you're working with that case rather than getting stuck in the um, nitty gritty um, symptoms that sometimes can be what the patients really want you to fix um, rather than, than the whole big picture and educating them on why we need to think about the big picture yeah. um, to get those symptoms better. Yeah, that's a, that's such a good way of looking at it. So you're treating the drivers rather than exactly what's yes. yeah, what's the the underlying cause. And that's that's just, I love that you're doing that. And I'm I did see your software with it, and it did look really impressive. But I've been saying for a long time, you know, when you collectively look at the drivers out there, there's there's probably ten key drivers that affect. And if you can treat any of those 10 key drivers, you effectively can manage any condition that comes into your practice. Exactly. I would 100% agree. And I think that's the strength of the program and also IFM to a certain extent. If you mm. can um, get a clear marker on what of those, I, I classify 12, um, yeah. But yeah, 10, 12, um, then you, um, and, and I, we make a graph and that graph changes each consultation. So we can start to take the patient on the journey as well to understand, you know, typical example I had recently was a patient who had what she described as a hundred out of 10 pain um and it was very much an overwhelming case she'd had thyroid cancer it had spread to her mm. lungs she had type 2 diabetes she had a back injury she had um shingles with resulting neuralgia she had chemotherapy that occurred peripheral neuropathy like everything that was wrong you could think of was wrong and her pain wow. was a hundred hundred out of ten and she wanted to be able to have a normal life you know this pain was stopping her going on holidays, she was retirement age. Um, and, you know, she'd done all the Lyricas and all the different, you know, pain treatments and she'd been to the physio and all these things. Anyway, so I got her into the clinic and I gave her a couple of products that you would expect. And then I went away and did the work on her because really her case was one of those ones where the whole first hour was just spent taking notes. Mm. Um, they gave me a three-page summary of her health um, and I went away and I did what I do with the... Um, mosaic spectrum which is the graph that we produce it's like a circle wheel yeah. and it was just so overwhelmingly heavy in that cardiometabolic and her blood glucose levels and her insulin um, requirements and everything were just out of control mm -hmm. and even though for her her pain and her diabetes and her cardiovascular risks seemed to have nothing to do with each other and she came in saying i don't want to make any dietary changes <laughs> i was able in that subsequent consultation to really show her this graph tells us, and this is why this graph tells us, that you've got a really big problem with your blood sugar, the inflammation that's causing, mm -hmm. um, and that this is perhaps not what we would normally think about as a driver for pain, but in your case, I think it probably is amplifying everything. Yeah. And so we used, we actually used um, CardioX and a couple of blood sugar supporting things, and I put her on a, a kind of blood sugar regulating diet and got her to monitor her blood sugar levels. Um, and it was quite a profound moment for her and her husband to realise how much um, better she felt pain-wise, but also um, just emotionally when we yes. made those changes and when that yeah. inflammation went down from all those glucose issues that she had. And she was able to come off quite a significant amount of medication in just a three-week period, which showed how much um, her diet was just incompatible with her, with her health. And so I think mm -hmm. having those tools enables everyone, not just the practitioner, to see 
why we might have to make those changes. And in her case, her husband was the one preparing the food. So I really needed him to get on board as well because, you know, I think they were late 60s, early 70s. He's probably been cooking the same way all his life. And then Mm -hmm. here am I saying, no, you need to completely rethink what you eat for three meals a day, you know, and he bought into that because he could see that that would help her her main health concern, which was that pain. Yeah, and and they the old picture paints a thousand words when they can see the the visual in front of them. I imagine that makes a massive difference. Uh, for sure, and I think also um, it sometimes gets them over the line on the difficult things like mm-hmm. the diet change, and also mm-hmm. what tests do you want. You know, sometimes I think um, you know the tests that we might want to ask uh, patients to get done are more costly. But if you can really show to them, well, this is an area that I need to st- a driver that I need to understand more about to rule out it as a, a primary driver or to you know amplify it as something we need to really put, put our energy into and you know this test would really help I think it makes them more inclined to spend that money to get that clarity for you than if you don't have a good way of explaining why you need it yeah brilliant brilliant so having the tool the VTM mosaic in your practice and for I do know other practitioners who have done the training with you and have it as well. With that, how do you feel, in your words, how do you feel that it helps to reduce the overwhelm in practice? So I use it with um, my complex cases, not acute. You know, if someone came in with just something pretty run-of-the-mill, they've had their first bout of glandular fever, I might not use it, you know, mm. but um, anything that starts to get a little bit complicated, you know, when the patient says to you, where should I start? That's yes. a really good clue that you need to pull out the system. <laughs> um, and so I feel like it breaks down the overwhelm because it just gives me a spot um, we use either um, paper, so you can use the um, system as a printout of pages. Um, so you either write on those or you can use them as modifiable PDFs. And yet now we're collaborating with Simple Clinic to be able to offer it um, as part of their um, software management. Um, so you will then be able to do it on um, their program. But you you get the tools out and you start doing it. And it gives you a clear process, a step-by-step. So when you have that moment of, oh, my God, what question do I ask next or what what should I do next? Or, um, mm. you know, there's just a clear system to follow. Um, and there's a, a resource that I created with the help of all the practitioners that have done the course. So um, when we were doing the in-person courses and now also online, we go through what I call the Mosaic Clinical Guide. Um, and the clinical guide is just a whole list of things not to forget. So it's questions, <laughs> um, assessment tools, Um, you know, different tests that might be appropriate for these different drivers. And so I guess, you know, it gives you an opportunity to kind of have a point of reference or a step-by-step process when you do get those cases where you just kind of think, oh, my goodness, where do I go now? Um, and also we talk about that it's all right to say to the patient, um, you know, I've collected heaps of information today and I want to go and have a think about it. I've never in nearly 20 years had a patient say, no, you can't go and think about it. They love that. Yeah. So um, it gives you that that process that you can pick up either in the consultation so you're not overwhelmed or later so you don't spend hours and hours and hours trying to work out what the right thing to do is um you've kind of got a start point and it's easy to explain to the patient yeah i love that we've been talking at uh, teaching at best practice for, for the past eight years at least you know the importance of having that research time where you go away put everything together that takes that takes the pressure off you know, just, yes. just having time on your own to think without the patient in front of you with expectations from yourself 
that, you know, you're going to come up with the goods right there and there on the spot, which is just ridiculous when you look at complicated cases. Oh, for sure. And I think it dilute, dilutes what mm. we're doing if we do oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Because, you know, you're, you're not going to necessarily get the, the best results. And I think that yeah, that whole best practice of idea of, you know, what is something that's, you know, going to be required and maybe give them some relief while you have, a, um, mm-hmm. a you know, a couple of days or a week or two to think about. And I've never had anyone say, no. I'm sorry, that's not okay. You know, people, <laughs> I, I think that's what's missing in our healthcare, perhaps, you know, that there, that there is not enough time sometimes given to these people and and that hope that they get from just having someone listen to them for half an hour or an hour um, i'm sure helps make them feel much better too yeah interesting actually because that kind of loops back to where we were earlier you know they need someone to talk to just like we need someone to talk to or you go the other way around you know just what yeah, how is it just unburdened just that's just such a an amazing human gift that we have is to listen to other people. Yes, awesome. and to give them the time. Mm. Hey, so, um, back to your Veto Mosaic. I just want to actually give her a bit of a plug on that because I think it is something that a lot of practitioners would do very, very well to go and do the training with you. There's online, it's a uh, face-to-face option, and I did see you've got a repeat option for those that want to come back afterwards and recap. Um, and I thought the pricing of it was really well priced. I was also going, oh, if I was back in practice again, I would definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> so you might, you might see me again, yet again. I might be out there. Excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so I'll so put the link into the, it's off your website, so I'll put the link into the show notes so people can, can access that. But I do want to caveat that it is practitioner only, yes? That's exactly right. It is a right. And I did call it Vita Mosaic Naturopathic Functional Medicine, but look, I've had all sorts of practitioners do it. And I guess it's um, not specifically on what herb we would prescribe or what nutrient mm. we'd prescribe. It's more about how we get to the decision of what's going on in that case. Um, and look, it's been amazing um, having, I've had um, a GP um, and a geriatric specialist mm. do it, which was really interesting to see uh, that. And then also um, some off osteopaths and um, nutritionists of course so um, it's really great to just see that a lot more um, practitioners are keen to think about you know what's really going on in the background and perhaps bring in some of those great functional medicine tools love it love it love it all right well I'm conscious that you have um, got to go and get yourself some lunch before you get back to your patients for self-care self-care exactly good food good food exactly Um, so thank you so much for today. Is there anything else that you want to add before I finish up on the on the self-care and the importance of the self-care? No, I think they've covered some good things and I guess come come hear my talk at Congress. But yeah. um yeah, you know, maybe one of the strongest things we can do, and I guess why I reached out to you at that event that we caught up um mm. at um I think it was best practice, is just to say um that perhaps, you know, let's let's try and make a bit of a culture of supporting mm. each other. And if you're not coping, who is it that you can reach out to? Maybe it's your rep, maybe you ask mm. your metagenics rep for someone else that's in your area that might have um you know a similar solo practice and and just open that conversation because we are all caring people and I think we're all pretty good at supporting each other and um you know perhaps that's the next part of um working our profession forward is to be able to provide some of those supports um peer supports for each other that perhaps is missing um across the board 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the title of this podcast is Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, and I have watched you grow and develop, Carla, for the past 16 years over the time, and I'm really, really inspired and impressed with just what an amazing practitioner you've become over that time. So any advice that you would have for, for other practitioners? Uh, I would say dream big because our industry has so many opportunities that um, I think the sky's the limit. I set myself a big goal last year, which was to be able to take my husband um, overseas for his 40th birthday as a surprise. Mm. So him and my children found out three days before we went overseas. Um, and, you know, that's not something that every person is going to be able to do in their job. But I think it's something that we have as an opportunity for us. So whether it is that you want to create your own podcast or, um, you know, be have a special interest in an area and you really want to work with that patient group or whether it is some kind of financial goal, I think set that and, and go for it because we are, I believe, in a very privileged um, time in our industry um, despite setbacks perhaps with things like private health insurance there's still a lot of good and I think you know just keep going for it because it's literally all that I've done and you know um, I think you know we have lots of awesome opportunities around us both here in Australia and New Zealand but, but overseas as well. Love it thank you so much thank you so much I love it. Obviously. you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Metagenics Best Practice Podcast. We hope you found today's discussion helpful in your own professional journey. Sharing our experiences as practitioners is such a great way to develop together. So before you go, why not take a moment to share this episode with someone that you know will value it. And whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify or any of the other platforms, remember to like and review the episode too. We read all of your comments and would love to hear your suggestions for future topics. Head to metagenics.com.au for downloads, links and other business support materials. Standing on the shoulders of giants, supporting you in creating your best practice.